You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. This is Trailblazers with Ricky Swinnell. Welcome into Trailblazers, where each week myself and or Kirsty Stanway, we will go one-on-one in-depth with some Kiwi women who have done or are doing big things in the world of sport on and off the field. My guest is a netball legend, a World Cup winner as a player, a Silver Ferns coach of more than 50 tests, a defensive guru, <laughs> the guru of the zone, I believe, Dame Nolene Todua calls her, and an absolute astute observer of the game. Yvonne Willering, welcome to Trailblazers. <laughs> Good morning. You are very much looking forward to this, I can tell. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know, I'm driving in here, I'm going, why did I say yes to this? You know, yeah, I'm a doer more than anything else, so uh, yeah, I, I stay away from most interviews. Well, you are a doer because you have been... Queen's Birthday Honours, you have very recently been given a service award by World Netball. Mm. Uh, you have you coach the Silver Ferns, you go in, you do defensive bits with so many different people. What is it about the game that you still love getting your hands dirty in? Yeah, and it isn't about the awards. I mean, it's really nice to get those accolades, absolutely. But, you know, it's it's the passion for the sport and, um, yeah, just to have that involvement. And I enjoy it, especially like nowadays as well, um, because I'm still involved with high performance. The game has certainly changed over time. The players have changed, their approach, their attitudes have changed. So you're still developing as I was going to say developing as a coach and in part you are you know and it's I enjoy now being like a contract coach where I go in I say my bit I do what I do and then I get out so you haven't got that overall responsibility so it's all care no responsibility it's really cool I love it it's a bit like me on ECNZ just doing one day a week and a little bit of this fun stuff (laughs) but how do you stay relevant when you've been in the game for a long time and as you say things change so much how do you stay relevant in the roles that you do being particularly defence being a specialist area yeah I mean I I, I still heavily involved, like even just with the radio commentary, you're doing, you're analysing it play for play. So then when I go home and I look at the game again, you know, I'm going, well, you know, probably wasn't as bad as, you know, I, I well, not I pick it to bits, but you are looking at it the whole time. And I think the players of today keep you pretty well uh, stable and motivated in that. I had a, a stint with the New Zealand under 21 squad, you know, and we talk about our players, you know, our young players, they don't understand, they haven't got the same history, everything like that. Listen, they are so committed committed to, uh, to the sport just like we were it's just they do it slightly differently and so they keep you well not young but you know they certainly keep you up abreast of what the game's all about but my coaching style probably hasn't changed much over time because I know it's a lot about empowering the athlete but I still believe uh, that's fine I don't have a problem with that but at some stage well initially you have to give them the knowledge you have to give them the information so sometimes I do query where we give that empowering to the athlete with 
without giving them all the knowledge first? It must be a whole different world with, with some of the young players these days in terms of the off course. I remember <laughs> Liana Debrain a year ago when she was still playing two years ago. And she was, she's 40 and she's playing with 20-year-olds yep. and they're TikToking and all of this. Sort of, <laughs> are, are you a TikToker, Yvonne? Come on. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's really interesting because I'm really into the motivation. I'm yeah. really into the, the, the sayings, you know, Vince Lombardi. I'm into all these quotes, you know. I love quotes. But what's the point of giving the players of today these quotes? I mean, if you put them on a piece of paper, they're just going to use them as frisbees anyway. <laughs> so, you know, and when you go into the dressing room and the music that's played, I mean, it's not just in their own earphones. No, no, this is just out there. And I'm going, you are kidding me. <laughs> and that's why I love what I do now. I go and do my bit and get out. Well, if you were in charge of the music, what would you be playing? <laughs> <laughs> now, people would, uh, that know me would say, Anne Murray, I've grown since then. I have grown, you know. <laughs> we'll, we'll dig out some Anne Murray from somewhere. Um, before we, I want to go right back. Um, mm. Your family came over from the Netherlands when mm. you were eight uh, mm. on a ship. You had no English. You certainly didn't no. know netball. Why did your family Why did your family immigrate in the first place? Yeah, they wanted a better lifestyle for my brother and myself. And uh, it was going to be between Canada and New Zealand. And ca- the Canadian winters were very severe. And, so, and because in Nederland, it's also they have very harsh winters with the snow and, and the ice and stuff. So, yeah, that's why they chose New Zealand. And we landed in Wellington. We're thrown on a train to Auckland and uh, really we were made to vent for ourselves like my dad was guaranteed a job and an accommodation and he didn't get either so yeah we had a really tough start and also unfortunately on the ship we got typhoid so my mother was on the hospital ship the whole journey and when we came to New Zealand they both had to go into hospital isolation so here's my brother and myself basically left with our parents no English wow yeah and um, you know we ended up actually staying at Redwood Park, and we spent six months in a tent. So, needless to say, I do not do tenting. <laughs> You're not anymore. a camper? <laughs> no way. Where, where's Redwood Park? It's in Swanson. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and uh, so there was a bunch of us kids all put together in a cabin, and uh, we had a, um, a nurse that was that could speak Nederland, so it was quite good. At least we had that. You know, us kids had a ball because it was a, a recreation park then. It's, I think it's got a golf um, structure now. But yeah, we had swimming pools, we had tennis courts, we had a ball, and we didn't go to school obviously because no English and when we did eventually go to school it was pretty tough because uh, in those days you you basically put with the primers and you just had no idea what was going on. Right. So, so you as an eight-year-old were in with the well, nine-year-old yeah. by that so probably and with the little ones yeah, learning and English. And already I was quite tall. Yeah, <laughs> And English is not the easiest language to learn. Right. You know, Even now, um, I, most of the English that I've learned is spoken English. So I'd never take you on in Scrabble because my words probably would only the most be oh, five letters. Is that so? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, so have you maintained your, your Dutch ties? Yeah, I have actually. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, certainly my parents uh, at a reasonably early age went and, and stayed uh, what's a retirement village on Storup and that's Tierra to South. And they really, I, I think they missed some of the, the Netherlands mm. things. We, my mum always cooked still the Dutch way and uh, so we, we've retained that certainly but also the language in my mum's later years and my dad's they spoke far more Nederland so yeah I picked that up again I've been back a few times as well so uh, yeah and I want to keep that uh, mm-hmm. as well so um, yeah so when you 
eventually did go to school and, and you started to, to learn the language. And it, what, what was life like for, for an immigrant kid in New Zealand in that era? Yeah, it was hard and like probably more so for my parents yeah. because obviously my dad had to get a job and he had no English and uh, he was very well qualified in radio, television, uh, just the repairs and, and things. And eventually he got a job, uh, which was really good. Uh, and my mum, well, she ended up you know, being in a factory and it was, yeah, it was really tough times and I guess that's why... I still I actually bought out the family home probably because it still has a lot of meaning to me you know my dad did so much work around the place that I'm going yeah you know we we, we had a tough but boy they really worked to make sure that we had a better life and yeah certainly uh, once once that we were established uh, it you know it became really good for for my parents as well it wasn't all bad yeah yeah you know but yeah I think those days are finished now I think that certainly immigrants are looked after a lot better than certainly we were at that time so how did you find your way through those school years and, and going into your teens where being a teenage girl is really awkward anyway <laughs> um, let alone when you're learning a language and all of those yeah. things it, is, did you find that avenue through sport being a tall kid is too probably not uh, helpful either yeah well we don't have we don't have netball and needle on I mean no. the, the closest thing probably is Corf Bowl I'd yep. say yeah would be the closest to it but uh, yeah know once I got to high school um, and I went to Rutherford High School and uh, June Mario Dame June Mario yes. was a physician teacher there and um, yeah by then I pretty well yeah, I was pretty well established, learned the language pretty reasonably easily, as did my brother. Um, and uh, from there, she convinced me to play netball, but not in, the, not in the third form. It was a bit later than that. You know, and initially I'm going, you are kidding me. But be- being tall at that time, and not now, but being tall at that time, yeah, I had instant success, was played, put in the goal defence position and basically have occupied it <laughs> never since moved. then. Yeah. Never mo- amazing, though, that somebody like Dame Jim uh, Murray can be, uh, have mm. an influence on your career from as a kid. Yep. Yeah, but you can see that in secondary schools now. You yeah. know, if your physetta or someone is actually involved in a particular sport, then generally speaking, that's a sport that grows, and you can see that through lots of things. And yeah, we've got getting netball academies in different schools because one of the teachers obviously really has a passion for the sport, and that's why that happens. And it's still happening today. So yeah, I was very fortunate with her. Also very fortunate that I had success. Mm. I um, I don't last in in different sports long if I don't have success. I have tried. I've tried golf and I've tried and I've tried, <laughs> but I've given that away. It's because it spoils a <laughs> but, perfectly good walk. <laughs> exactly. But I do go to driving ranges because then I don't have to go and pick up the ball, <laughs> so <too>. I'm okay. <laughs> you know, so, yes, yeah, so I was very fortunate and uh, also had her for a period of time through the Auckland teams that I was involved with. Um, so, yeah, it, was, it just went on from there. When did you realise that you were quite good at the sport, that you, that you could and that you could take it to a, to to other levels. Yeah, I was at school when I trialled for the Auckland representative team, and uh, I was green as, um, but it was just nice just to be there. Mm. Uh, didn't make it the first year. Um, because I was just a school kid, and boy, that they let me know I was just a school kid. <laughs> there been some and tough I, ladies back yeah, then too. Yeah, and but I made it the next year, and I just had a ball. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed being a part of the team. You know, not being in an individual sport. It was just nice to have the company of others. And uh, yeah, and also game of situation. My parents always came to the games, like the club games, and and they yeah, they always go hand in hand. For the Europeans are very close that way, so my parents always hand in hand or arm in arm. 
and off they'd come to the to the netball games. Knew nothing about it. I was going to say, what did they make of the sport? It. But they knew whenever I was called, it was wrong. You know, because <laughs> I could do no wrong. Yeah. So, but it was nice because even when I'd made, uh, you know, like either Auckland or the Silver Ferns for that matter, they still went and supported the club because in those days the club competition was really really strong, and we had a um, like that national competition in those days. Well, one of the ones that I certainly remember is the Bendon League, mm. and we were heavily involved in that. And if you look at that now, you would actually start, you know, like you'd get players in and you'd build up your team. But in those days, no, you stuck to it. That loyalty factor, I suppose, was very much in it. So you had your PIC from Wellington, and they, they were stable. And in Auckland, like we had ASB Collegiate, which is what I was part of, and, you know, and, and you had your rifles and you had your verdicts. Verdicts. Yeah, and, you know, and so you had all these teams around. And whilst certainly you wanted to build up their team, you really still kept that loyalty and the pride in your own structure. And it was just wonderful. Mm. And I remember we won the competition. Oh, I won't even say the year because otherwise people are going to say I wasn't even born. <laughs> you know, and um, and in those days you always were given these, these um, like uh, dressing gowns and they were just wonderful dressing gowns. But this particular year that we won the competition, they didn't present them. And we were hurt to the core because they were so good. <laughs> We said to them, you've got to bring them back. Well, they brought them back the next year, and luckily we won the competition the next year, so I still have my bend and robe at home. I love it. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> look, I remember being as a kid in Wellington and six years old on the sideline at PIC and getting Lewis yeah. Wall's autograph, and that was those clubs that have got such a storied history, and I think we can probably talk about that a little bit more. We'll take a quick break here on Trailblazers on SCNZ and come back with Yvonne Willering a little bit more shortly. You're listening to Trailblazers with Ricky Swinnell. This is Trailblazers with Ricky Swinnell. Well, my guest is the netball legend Yvonne Willering. We've been chatting about some of her early life coming over from the Netherlands as an eight-year-old, eight-year-old on the typhoid-riddled ships, uh, finding her way into netball and then realising that she was actually quite good at it and becoming a silver fern. How old were you when you made the ferns? I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> 23. 23. Yeah. Which, is, I mean... You know, as someone who had only just introduced the sport, probably what ten years or so earlier, was it? Uh, did it feel like a, a rapid rise, or were you perhaps a little bit oblivious to that side of it? No, in those days we had uh, well. Prior to that, we had North South games, so you know played for Auckland for for quite a few years, and then made the North South. Then I actually went overseas for a couple of years, and I ended up in Canada. And uh, then I, someone said, you know, there was going to be trials coming up um, for <laughs> certainly for Auckland, but also for the Silver Ferns, and. Uh, arrogant really I suppose so I thought I'd come back Best and get back and, and, yeah and give it a go and uh, very fortunate in that first in that 74 year that I made the team um, and Dame Lois Muir was is the coach was the coach and um, that was her first year as full silver ferns coach as well so we went through a long period like a 10 year period together so yeah it was um, yeah obviously a wonderful opportunity and uh, very proud very proud to have made it obviously for my new adopted country and also my parents um, uh, you know, it was great for them as well because they could see, you know, they brought us over to this country. And in a way, I guess, by certainly that selection, also later I got um, a couple of awards 
it showed we'd made it in our new mm. adopted home. So yeah, it, it had a lot of a lot of reasons for for it. I actually have written down here adopted country, um, mm. and and the significance of of that as as a as a migrant family to to come and and to make better. Um, can you remember the reaction of of your parents? And telling them about it? Um, yeah, well, as it turned out, because uh, the uh, uh, trials were down country and we're coming back and uh, my collegiate club side were at my parents' place, you know, at our place, and uh, they already obviously had a few drinks, <laughs> you know, and it was really, and I, I didn't realise this and I came home to that and they were already having a party and I'm going, okay, they had that without me, you know. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was really important. Um, it, and um, I've actually since, in all, in all the later years, I've actually become naturalised now and for a long time and uh, I do still have a, a Netherlands passport mm. yeah I do but you know it's uh, this it's my adopted country I know where I was born and certainly that history will always be there but uh, it was just really nice to wear that silver fern and to actually you know sing the national anthem to stand up for your flag for that first time well every time you do it's something special but that first time yeah that was pretty important who was your first test against 74. We actually went to England. Yeah, and uh, it was a huge tour, and we played all the different regions, and you know, and uh, the, it wasn't like, like proper the, touring. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. In those days, you know, it's not about like one. If you have one test a week, people complain <laughs> yeah. here and now. No, we were playing all over the place, and we had some test matches, obviously against England. Um, but it was yeah. In those days, you didn't have the television coverage that you have now, but it was that inner pride within the team mm-hmm. as well. So, and then that from that, it then went into the World Championships, and luckily that uh, that year. 75, the world champs were actually in Auckland at Windmill Road, and that's obviously was my nipple centre, so that was pretty good. It was really you know, local for my parents to come to as well. And at the same time, actually, the provincial champs were being held at Nepal North Harbour. And it was actually at the same time. I don't know why that happened, but it did. And so my parents, like, flitted between, you know, uh, being being with the Silver Ferns and watching them, or New Zealand team at that time, and then also going over to the provincials. And I thought that was really cool because they still, you know, so supported the team as well They'd rather than just, total, their, yeah. just their little daughter. They'd yeah. become total netty heads by that. That's so good. Um, still have no understanding yeah. of the game. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, let's be honest, half the time nobody does no. anyway. <laughs> um, obviously, this is a purely, purely amateur era. So yes. you work, what, um, what was life outside of netball? Yeah, it was interesting because people just don't uh, yeah, appreciate it, I suppose. Yeah, I actually, after finishing school, I became a laboratory technologist and then I specialised in microbiology. So I say to people, hey, listen, you know, I have, a, I have a career behind me as well. So yeah, I was a microbiologist who are now called scientists which I think is pretty cool. So, But it came to a situation where I couldn't do the sport and also do justice to to um, obviously being a microbiologist because it involved a lot of weekend work, call work as well. Right. And uh, so it was a situation I had choices to make. I was very, very fortunate that um, Nepal New Zealand picked me up and I was actually one of the in fact, I think I was the first full-time coaching coordinator for them as well. And then after that, really, uh, and oh, it was just, yeah, it was made for me, I suppose. I, I joined the ASB Bank as the, um, not their sponsorship person, but for Nepal. I looked after their sponsorship of Nepal and they uh, sponsored ASB Collegiate, my club's 
side. Mm. ASB Auckland, I also played for them. So it was really easy for me. Also then, obviously, when I went on to coaching, just to promote them. And uh, I, I did some sort of uh, branch openings as well. So outside of the sport, I, yeah, I just was a little bit more involvement in society as well. Yeah. So, yeah, that was it worked really well. I miss the laboratory work. I was going I to say. It. I yeah, enjoy yeah. it. And I went back and I actually went to back to diagnostic lab, not, well, yeah, a little while later, obviously. And, but everything's now modernized and it's not like you take your specimen from the start, you know, from the swab through to the bacteria, through to the antibiotics. You just don't do that anymore. And I, I really enjoyed doing that. Well, as I say, I've known you for quite a long time now, and I have only found out today that you are mm. actually a microbiologist by trade. And scientists are, are the you new. Impressed? So I actually, I <laughs> genuinely I am. Scientists are the new rock stars, right? After same. the last year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> um, going back to the, the netball side of things, because we could talk about that for a whole mm. thing. As you said, uh, made, made the silver ferns in 74 under Dame Lois, but it was 79 and, and yep. that world championship. What uh, sticks out from, from that time and, and maybe even beyond that, from that team and those people? Yeah, two things. And they think it was funny. I didn't. <laughs> I was actually allowed to carry the flag. You know, and that was a big deal. Um, a, a really, yeah, it was a really big deal. So into the enclosure and there we were and it was just wonderful. And part of the opening ceremony, they released all these pigeons and they let them go and these pigeons let fly out. <laughs> and I was covered. And the only great thought about it all was at least my teammates are covered as well, right? <laughs> and I turned around, not on any of them. And all they could say, it's luck. And I'm going, yeah, right. Unbelievable. So you've carried the flag for your country at an opening and ceremony for World Champions and you're covered in pigeon crap. Correct. What <laughs> does that tell you? Yes. Maybe it was, it was. It was a good omen. Yeah, right. And then and the, <laughs> and at the closing ceremony, it was, and actually the, the rules have changed after that closing ceremony. We only, you only have round robin. You didn't have like a semi-final right. and final. So you just played everyone, which I quite like. I like the idea of playing everyone. Why would you not want to do that? And if we can change the world champ slightly, that's one of the things I would like to change. Okay, we'll put that on the list. We'll yeah, we're off. like the top six nations. I'd like it split the world yeah, right. champs, actually, that you're not that everyone's not, yeah, the top, say, eight are playing each other, yep. yeah? And, uh, yeah, and, and so it was a situation that um, it was probably the only time that Australia was really cheering for us when we played Trinidad and Tobago because we had to win that game in order to make it a three-way tie because Australia had lost to Trinidad and Tobago. So, you know, we're working on this, and it was so cool to have their backing. But what was even better was all the crowd, obviously, Trinidad and Tobago because the tournament wasn't yes. Trinidad. And Tobago, and they were against us like crazy, you know. And the person I was marking was Jean Pierre, and she, she was just, you know, the God basically. She was just that person in Trinidad and Tobago. And I remember that we we're in the circle, and she fell over. And I'm not proud of this, but I blame my goalkeeper. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> and that was Millie Mun- the other way. Yeah, and that was who Millie was your, who, I was going to say, who's yeah, your keeper? Yeah, and she's quiet. She was lovely, lovely. And then I, I felt bad about it. You know, but the crowd, they booed us afterwards. We had water bombs thrown at us, oh. and I loved it. It was great. <laughs> loved the hostility. But here's three teams at the end all coming through the flags, which have your closing ceremony, and you come through the flags. And all three teams wanted to be the first team. And, of course, that was just, you know, just shame. Shambles, an absolute shambles. And it was after that tournament they decided, nah, we've got to have a clear winner and totally understand that. But at least that was a world championship. We sort of won. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady. 
a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, we'll take it. We'll we'll, we'll put it on the list, uh, Yvonne Willering. World Championship winner under the great Dame (laughs) Lois Muir as the coach with the 1979 Silver Ferns. We'll take another quick break here on Trailblazers on SCNZ. I'm Ricky Swanell. My guest is Yvonne Willering. More with Yvonne shortly. You're listening to Trailblazers with Ricky Swanell. This is Trailblazers with Ricky Swinnell. Where I'm joined by netball legend Yvonne Willering talking through her career. We're going to get to the state of the current game as well in this chat, which we probably could have used another hour or so for, but we'll, we'll move on. Um, we've been talking about a bit about your playing career, winning uh, the World Championships in, in 79. You'd said that... Uh, when you were balancing a bit of playing, you had started to move into a bit of coaching, coach coordinating. So was coaching always something you thought you would want to do or that you fell into or that was always a goal? No, not really. But uh, I was playing for the Auckland team and also I, for some reason, didn't have a coach in, in the later years, year 85 I think it was. And um, so it was a situation, I was player coach and that is so hard oh. to do. It is so hard to do because do you focus on the other players? Do you lead by example on the court? You know, so I said, well, and that next year that I would just forget the playing part of provincial playing and just focus on coaching and uh, really enjoyed it. In fact, uh, coaching Auckland, that time and that was again at uh, Winmore Road because that's Auckland courts in those days and we won the championship and no one expected us to win and we won it well and when I say won it well I'm not just talking about score I thought the skill factor was there and a lot of those players went on actually to become Silver Ferns as well and I really enjoyed the experience of it all because that just the being together appreciate that I knew most of those players obviously from the previous year having played with them so yeah that sort of started it off uh, you know and um, just really Really enjoyed the the whole experience, and uh, I guess I've oh, never looked back. <laughs> and, and are still coaching. Um, do, is it pass, partly? Was it possible that, as we've talked about, you you you've got a sciencey brain, obviously, an analytical brain? As those mm. were they skills that maybe translated to coaching and ability to analyse and encapsulate a situation, uh, explain something, and and then put it out on court. Gosh, that sounds good. I know, I sound like you were really talking about it, didn't I? <laughs> so that's what's happened. No, I, I, to be fair, I spend a lot of time analysing, and I even say to the players today, like there are, like for instance, if I'm doing in-circle defence work, you know, I know where the intercept spots are. Why do I know that? Because I've spent ages, I was going to say years actually, analysing the different things. Mm. And really at the end of the day, I think everyone plays a very similar game out on court. So, yeah, I, uh, and you can say it's trial and error, but... Um, yeah, I enjoy it. I enjoy doing that stuff. Uh, def- and I'd like to think, I know I'm always sort of labelled as a defensive coach, but I actually also like doing attacking play and just doing different stuff. I think sometimes we, we're so predictable, and I like it when we do something mm. different out on court. I like my screens, you know, and defensively. Yeah, I do a lot of space marking because surely it's about taking the intercept and not about penalties and having to stand beside players, which you tend to do when you're doing one-on-one defence. So, yeah, I, I'm very fortunate uh, 
uh, with the teams that I've coached uh, over time. Took Auckland for many, many years. And it came to the situation, it was interesting, that uh, we won, uh, you know, every, uh, years. And it came to a situation whereby the opposition would say, we'll do you next year, we'll take you next year. And same as a team, we it wasn't so much about celebrating the win, it was more about fuel, you know, we, we didn't lose. Mm. And so I actually then, uh, it was a difficult decision, but I left Auckland and I then turned around actually and I went over over the shore and coached Harbour team. And you've never been invited back over the other side of the bridge? Oh, no. <laughs> no, I think they, yeah, I mean, it, it was difficult, absolutely. But then uh, we actually won with the Harbour team the second year in. And honestly, in that final, after we won the final, the players were just so together. They jumped, you know, together. And I'm going, whoa, the joy of the win mm. was back. And that, were, that were, and it's important to celebrate your wins. And I say that to players now. So a lot of the stuff that I'm saying to people now is also as a result of what I've went through in the past. And that's why I'm also really supportive. I'd like to think I'm really supportive of coaches, you know, because at times I certainly didn't have the support. I didn't feel I had the support. And I want to make sure that the coaches of today do have that support without any, uh, you know, hidden agendas or anything. It's just the caring of the, obviously, the person and the sport. Yeah, it's brutal in that sense. And we have seen it in recent years. And and you suffered it. You experienced after 99. And I don't think we need to relitigate the whole World Cup and what happened. But what happened afterwards, um, perhaps how did that, in that, so... You obviously mm. lost your job as Silver Ferns coach after that and after 1999. How did that shape you or how has that shaped you since? Yep. I actually kept the job for a few more years after You did after actually, that. yeah. Um, but yeah, we had a major... The thing was, it was really difficult. Um, like I look back and I look at the Silver Ferns and I'm going, whoa, because people ask me, what are your highlights? And you tend to focus not on the negative... Yeah, on the negative aspects. You do actually. And probably more your losses than your wins. Not so, I'm not saying that's happening now, but certainly in those days. And when I first took on the job it was as a caretaker coach so it was actually through the demise of someone else mm. I kept the same players I kept the sta- same management so you've been thrown in the deep end and I'm going why did I even accept that opportunity but I enjoyed the challenge and that's why I then went on and obviously put my name forward and, and coach that 99 world champs and as you know it, it's almost I almost like say I've only just come off medication <laughs> you know? but it's interesting Australia always brings up the 99 world champs they love why them. Yeah. yeah, because Sherelle, Sherelle McMahon, McMahon, and you know Sherelle McMahon, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and they did an interview with her quite recently, and yep, she had to bring up the 99 world champs because she scored the winning goal and didn't even know she'd done it. Yeah. But the hardest thing with that game is that uh, in the semifinals, I made a substitution. I put Linda Wagner on and uh, b- put Bernice Meany into goal defence. Didn't make that substitution in the finals, and you could almost say, why didn't I? So now when coaches, when they say, I should have done this, I went, don't go there. Just don't go there. Because we were seven goals up going into that final quarter. If I'd made a Mm. sub... And we'd lost. People would say, well, you're an idiot. Why the heck did you do that? Now they were saying an idiot for different reasons. But, you know, seven goals up going to that final quarter and we lost by one. And part of me thinks, and, I, and certainly, I mean, I've got a lot of blame for it. And I will take my share. Absolutely. We all could have done it better. And I think we became score focused. We try to protect a lead. And so now I say to people and I say to players, when they go onto the court, focus on your performance. Mm. But how often do you 
you see players look up at the scoreboard. Even in the first quarter, they're looking up at the scoreboard. And I'm going, how dare you? You should be playing full intensity for the duration of the game. And I learned that from that game, that I think we went in there protecting a lead. So when we had a break or, you know, centre pass or step, we'd say, it's okay. We're still five goals up, you know, four goals up. Even at the end, you know, we had an opportunity, you know, and uh, yeah, it's difficult, but you do not just look at the last few yeah. seconds of the game. I've learned that as well. Well, I knew that anyway. It's about the 60-minute encounter. Absolutely. I mean, and it's, gosh, it's obviously something that stays with, with you and, and probably mm. doesn't help that every time a World Champs or World Cup comes up, it all gets <laughs> replayed and then you have to start yep. you have to start on another G&T mm. just to, to, to get <laughs> through it. But I guess post your, your, your coaching time with the Silver Ferns, did you feel... Um, on the outer from from netball from netball New Zealand that that you you didn't necessarily fit the mold. Yeah, it was it was yeah interesting era, um, and also uh, even the media um, and probably like often like you'd make the headlines because they know you get a reaction, mm. and I do give a reaction. And like I was invited onto different programs, and I wouldn't say no um, because. Yeah, I think that was part of the responsibility that goes with it as well. And I remember well one interview, and um, it's actually when I, I was actually assisting the South Africans, uh, and this was going way back, 1995, there's a world champs anyway. And uh, Marlene Machner, the South African coach, we're friends anyway. And I went over there and I assisted them with Nepal New Zealand's approval. They didn't have a problem with it, right? Mm. And to cut a long story short, in the semifinals, South Africa played um, New Zealand. South Africa won by two. Yes, there was a young lady called Irene van Dijk in that team, uh, right? And Liana Dwan was there yeah. as well, and Annie Kloppers. There quite a few of the players that are now moved on, obviously, you know. So that was my first introduction to Irene anyway. You know, and I was labelled a traitor and all sorts wow. of stuff. Didn't know that because I was over in England. I didn't know that was happening, and I didn't feel that. It was just New Zealand didn't play their best game, but all South Africa, they did play well, you know. And, yeah, I remember being interviewed and I just came out and, and I said, I oh, know I was angry. I was angry with the people to even think that way because we're okay to coach overseas so long as those people don't win. I was going to say, it's almost like a, a bit of the before you, being ahead of your time a little bit, to go mm. and be a professional coach overseas wasn't necessarily something that was done as much and, and people no. who did do it, you know, we think back to things like the America's Cup and whatever, absolutely copped it if they went somewhere that didn't was against yeah. New Zealand. Yeah, and it's happening more and more. I mean, yeah, we've got sure. all black coaches going overseas and again, it's a situation, yeah, yeah, we want the rest of the world to be up there as long as you're not beating us. And I'm, you know, I'm going, that's up to you. It's not up to me. When you look back through that time now, can the good now outweigh the bad? You said you, you were co- you were focused on, um, on on the negative so much, but when you think now and, and the people that you're involved with, as you mentioned, Benice Meni and all of those people that you influenced, influenced mm. can mm. is it now, can it be po- more positive with the, the bit of time in, in between? Those results will always be there, yeah. and that doesn't change. But I think I've learned a lot from from that, and uh, you know, from the, my experiences throughout. And so now, when I talk to coaches, and I love obviously doing sessions with coaches, love doing, doing with players as well. But I really enjoy the coaches, and I'd like to think that certainly I support them. And part of that is also because um, what I've learned uh, in my experience as a coach. And uh, taking example, like focusing on performance, not on the score. Never be score driven. And I think that's in every sport. The mm. moment you start thinking about a score you're looking into the future you're not looking at the present and you've got to be 
uh, focus on on what's happening right now, not what will be in a you know in sort of five minutes or whatever. So I like to think I take those learnings um, you yeah, now into the situation. Um, I'm <laughs> I'm not bitter about any you know. Yeah. I was for a period of time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because I'd like to yeah, and I know that I'd like to think that I do everything f- for for the good of the sport. I'm passionate about the sport, you know. And so when you come into question, you go what you know what's going on here. And um, I guess I've learned, I was going to say, to tone down slightly. <laughs> right, <Righto. laughs> You know, but, uh, yeah, but things, I'm so passionate about it. And so, um, yeah, I'd like to, other people to follow the journey as well. And if I can assist them for, you know, to, for positive uh, influence, then, yeah, then I'll do that. And that's why I am still involved. Mm-hmm. I get a lot of stuff out of it still, don't get me wrong. Certainly I'd like to think I give to others, but they give back to me. Like my, those under-21s, I yeah. see them now, and I, they're just wonderful, you know, and they come up to you and are going, wow, look at the age difference between us. And yet we and we do have a bond, and it's just lovely to see. And to see these players striving to be the Silver Ferns, similarly like we did in our day. It is different now with your promotions, your mm. sponsorship. And yet the professional era, it is different. But, you know, at the end of the day, the silver fern, the pride in the fern is still there. The thoughts of Yvonne Willering joining us on Trailblazers. We'll take one more quick break and we'll be back with Yvonne in a little bit more shortly. You're listening to Trailblazers with Ricky Swinnell. This is Trailblazers with Ricky Swinnell. And my guest, Yvonne Willering, we've got to rip through because we're going to run out of time and I've got a million other things I, I want to ask. But I, I think we should probably have a look at, at the current game. And Well, firstly, actually, I want to go to the 2019 World Cup. Uh, what mm. did that Silver Ferns win mean for you? Um, I had an involvement mm. prior to that. So uh, in the Silver Fern cluster group, obviously Dame Nolene and I go back way back yeah. uh, as well. And so, um, yeah, it was just nice to see some of the stuff we did. Um, and certainly that, like that defensively, they did space marking as well as one and one And when players actually put, execute stuff that you've collectively worked on, mm. it's just, that's the buzz. As a coach, yeah, the score's one thing. That's what, you know, you're, you're checked out on. But my greatest thing is if, if you've taught players to do something and they actually do it out on court so it's about skills it's not about the score at the end of the day but them coming through um, is just they stuck to the task you know and to be totally honest that game at the end could have gone either way I actually took a tour party to you know to, for that and uh, yeah just the nerves but I had oh. to really look after the people that I was with but uh, yeah you knowing that game well, even the semi-finals. The semi-finals, that was yeah. The hardest thing. I, that was when I thought when when yeah. when Shannon Saunders kept that ball in court again in that semi-final against England. I thought that's when they. I, that's when I thought, oh, I think they can win this. And I've seen you in your tour groups because we had it at the 2011 yeah. World Cup in Singapore, and then you ditched them and came into commentary with me. But that's that's <laughs> by the by. Um, Dame Nolene, mm. does does the country know what a good coach and a good person? we have at the helm of netball at the moment? Yes. Yeah? Yeah, I think they do. Yeah. yeah um, and that's why, um, like, initially, took a bit of a gamble, though, because before that World Champs, she had quite a few losses, yeah. uh, you know, and she's saying, just trust me, be with us, you know. And, yep, there was a situation where she had to try different players out in different situations. And I understand that, but when you've got the Silver Ferns uh, logo on, you've got to have earned that. Mm. And at times, players probably didn't quite earn that because she needed to see them in action out on court. So when 
when it came to the world champs, yeah, it was a different ball game, and she actually she had to win it. Mm. It actually was came to a situation she had to win it uh, on that. But what I liked about uh, what she was doing, and obviously I I, I rate Nolly very yeah. very highly, pretty hard not to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because otherwise I wouldn't be you know, doing the work uh, with her, and I will support her. I totally but like she made stipulations like she spoke about the fitness levels you had to have a set fitness level end of story and I attended one of the training camps for the squad and four players were sitting on the end you know this was day two and they were sitting on the end and one of them is a player that I'm quite heavily involved with and I said what are you doing here she's oh we've been banned we're already out of the team out of contention because we did not reach the yo-yo levels and they have been told prior to that though what those levels were so they knew what all the commitments, what the requirements were in order to achieve, you know. And one of those players, and I'll, I'll say it, Suley Fitzpatrick, you know, just dear to my oh. heart. Okay, she missed out on that. Well, she worked not just on her fitness, but her whole mental and physical uh, strength. She totally, totally deserves a position in the Silver Ferns. She has earned the right to be there. Yes. And I'm sure she now feels, you know, in a way more worthy because it isn't just oh let's see how she goes she has earned the right to be there so stip, you know sticking to those stipulations which at times is hard because at one year well remember the year well, when there was, there was no shooters, no for shooters left yeah. yeah and everyone's yeah. going just pick her just yeah. pick her you know? but you can't yeah, yeah but now we're looking at certain players you know, and we're looking at a Grace Nowicki for instance going oh I just hope she gets Go the yo-yo you make your yo-yo Grace come on um, yeah. but Sulu is a great story a, a, a fantastic story because you look at her now and we 100% will be getting her on Trailblazers because her story is mm. is amazing um, and she's leading the Mystics incredibly well at the moment. What yep. do you? Where do you see the franchise game at? We've talked a little bit about the club game. I know a lot of people miss club and provincial netball. Yep. Where is the franchise system at with the ANZ Premiership? Yeah, I, I still think um, that it's a bit difficult now. We don't have the Australians in there, obviously with COVID. I mean, yep. that's changed everything anyway. But uh, when we had that period with, uh, with uh, the interaction with with Australia, it was a different ball game. I, in fact, I actually went over to Australia quite a lot and spent time with all the different franchises, which was just brilliant. Really mm. enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, now it's a situation we're playing each other three times, and really, uh, what I have a problem with is that it doesn't matter if you lose, say, in the first round against teams, you can still have five or six losses. Have a look at it now, and you can still make the finals. We've got three teams at the moment vying for that second and third position, and they're and you know, uh, two of them have had quite a number yeah. of losses. So you know, it, so that the win isn't as like the result isn't as critical throughout the whole season. And you know, someone said, "Oh, well, have an extra team." No, no, we don't want an extra team. I actually don't think we have the depth in order to have an extra de- a team. This is our elite competition. It isn't about developing players at this level. That's the NNL competition. So you know, we need our the, our best players up there. Do we need more import players? No. No, I don't think so because you have a sit. We had a situation. Remember when all our most of our shooters and Australia's got it now. Yeah, where the shooters. shooters are all import players, so now they're looking. Go, oh, how are we going to bring our own? And so you've got to be very careful because our national team is still what sets you up mm. on the international uh, scene. So yeah, it's a very fine line. Um, we haven't got a, probably oh, no disrespect to a, to the uh, the international players. You know the import players, but some of those players now 
playing in the Australian League. And the English League also has developed quite a lot. So, And I think that is where it really helps world netball. Yeah, for sure. You know, because you look at South Africa, a lot of their players are pl- were playing in the New Zealand League or the Australian League. And when they came together, Norma Plummer just had to bring them together Risen as a the team. whole level, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, we're just about out of time, so I'm going to ask you a couple of real stinker quick fire ones. Here we go. Um, no, uh, probably not going to be able to answer them, no, are you? No. Um, who was the best player you played with? Ooh. With. Yeah, I'm a loyal person, okay? And I know it's got to be quick answer, too bad. <laughs> and Millie <laughs> no Munro was my first goalkeeper with the Silver Ferns, right? Yep. And then Tracy Fear came oh. along. Okay, and Tracy Fear, and she was there, and I says, no, no, you earned the right to be a goalkeeper with me. I I don't know why I said that, but I did. Anyway, so the first time she was on the court, I'm going, yeah, whatever, because I'm loyal to Millie, and Millie was a great goalkeeper. She covered my back at every opportunity. If I went out for an intercept and missed, she got it, so it was great. But then Tracy Fear got this brilliant intercept, and I turned around, and I'm going, okay, you've earned She's the right. right. Yeah. So Tracy Fear? Yeah, uh, well, uh, Millie initially, because that was my starting point with the Silver Ferns, but yeah, Tracy Fear and I go back a long way. Why Tamanu oh. was the wing defence. Oh my gosh, it's like a so, dream team. Yeah, so when I missed out on the team, uh, well, yeah, I missed out on the team. You know, it was actually uh, why I then went from wing defence to goal defence and Sandra Edge came into oh. the team. So I could almost live with it. Oh, you can take that. <laughs> Best player you have coached? Oh no, oh no, no, no. That's all different, eh? So, so, no, I won't even okay, go down that line. Okay, but there's a couple of Irene Van Dyke you had a lot to do with. Timmy yeah. Putter as well. Totally different players. Irene Van Dyke, I had. See, I'm making even, you answer. No, 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 no. You, you've put the players, you've stated <laughs> who it is. But Irene Van Dyke, I actually coached help um, when she was still in South Africa. And I remember she wore bandana and bright <laughs> and red the eyeliner. Lipstick. And remember all that? Yeah. So when she came to New Zealand, I said, okay, you're now going to be remembered for your performance. But it was difficult to start with because the game was played at such a pace. And here's Irene, just come to New Zealand, only a shooter. I mean, she will tell you this. She never thought she'd have to do any defence work, for goodness sake. (laughs) You know, I'm here to shoot. So, yeah, it was interesting to see her journey. Then you've got your Timmy Parra Bailey, who is a totally what I call a natural player. Absolutely. Mm. So, like, I might say to her, okay, when you come off the line, go to your right. And then once the whistle goes, she goes to the left. You know, and I'm going, so your reason for doing this? You know, she says, oh, I just thought it was the right thing to do. But what I love about her now, she's now into into coaching. And often we, we meet up and she says, oh, I wish I'd listened to you more <laughs> because now I'm seeing it through coaching eyes. And I love that because now you see these players develop as well. So, yeah, lots of different players, you know, like Bernice Meany was oh. my captain and she was just a wonderful pers- a player, but also as a friend, you know. So, uh, yeah, lots of different people. Liana De Bruyne lot to do with recently as yeah. well. So yeah. so, you, yeah, so you've not picked one for me, but that's no, okay. We sorry, could be I, here for another hour. I love the players. And we so, haven't even yeah. had a chance to talk about the fact that you're a massive petrol head, yeah. so we're going to have to get Yvonne Willering to come back another time and go into all of that. Yvonne Willering, thank you so much for joining us on Trailblazers here on SCNZ. Pleasure. You're listening to Trailblazers with Ricky Swinnell.